Welcome to Music 316 for Friday the 20th of November, the last Friday before Thanksgiving. I have to apologize that I am going to have to stop editing these podcasts because the editing just takes too much time. Um, and so the podcast are going to be a lot more full of coughs and wheezes and banging around and the sound of writing on the cutboard and just playing silence while I walk back and forth from one place to another to play the different kinds of examples. Sorry about that. We need technical support and we don't have it. One thing we need technical support for is that the library continues to renumber our examples differently from the way they appear in the course materials and on the website. So I just want to give you a heads up that there's a, a difference in numbering on CD number four. The class website handouts have one set of numbering. The online reserves at the library have a different numbering for some of the examples. And let me get my glasses just to make sure I'm reading these correctly. <clears throat> CD4, number one on the website, equals number one online. Number two equals number two. Number three, A and B, A equals number three online, and B equals number four online. The class example number four equals online example number five, and class example number five equals online example number six. However, just to confuse you even more, the library has followed the class numbering system in naming the files that you actually download. So if you download the library number example four, for instance, the file that you download is example 3b. Don't ask me why. I'm holding daily discussions with them, trying to see if I can get if I can get them to be consistent and make it a little easier on us. Um, and so far we haven't quite managed to reach an understanding on that. I told them that the um, the numbers were inconsistent on the streaming video examples, and so what they did was take away all of the names of the streaming video examples, so there's no way to tell what the numbers actually represent. So that is a very confusing thing that I hope we're going to get worked out um, in high-level diplomatic negotiations over the next few days. Let's stay tuned. I will send you updates by email um, as this happens. Or as new things happen. And at this point, I can't, can't predict exactly what the steps are going to be 
towards working it out, but we will work out the problem. Okay, so <clears throat> we were left with that drug-like music, but is used by the Turks either to either to induce a state of religious ecstasy or to arouse the bloodthirsty instincts of their race to go out and slaughter innocent Christians. And or of course both of the above. The answer <coughs> is from the Turkish point of view that the <coughs> The music and dance that we were seeing and hearing with the guys in the white robes was entirely peaceful and was intended to reach a state of union with God, who is a peaceful and loving God. The wars that were fought by Janissary soldiers and other um, military people were fought by military people who were not. The Turks an unusual version of St. George and the Dragon, for example, a 16th-century Bulgarian icon in which the dragon is actually a Turk, the ruthless aggressor of Christianity in a part of Eastern Europe that became known as the Slavic Bastion. Okay, so there's the Italian and Bulgarian stage television logos on this rather colorful series. How old is it? Sorry? How old is it? Um, let's see, did we have a date on that, um, on that segment? I'm not really sure. Um, um, if I recall correctly, it was mid-1980s, mid to late 1980s, but I could be off by a few years. Um, and it was broadcast here on public TV um, a couple of years, I think, after it was broadcast in Europe. So it's old at this point, but not that old um, within the lifespan of many of you, um, certainly. And um, <clears throat> let's hear a little bit of background now on the dancers, the religious dance um, that we've seen depicted in such terrifying terms. The operation can't be performed, it says, but it's performing it. There we go. So, here, then. Some of the oldest Turkish classical music that has been preserved is that of the Mevlevi dervishes. Mevlevi dervishes were one of many groups of Sufis or mystics that developed throughout the Muslim world. Sufis are Muslim mystics, and the word mystic is 
um, a comparative religion term that refers to religious um, movements or groups that believe in trying to make direct contact with God. That is not learning of God through a book only, not approaching God through a priest, not uh, going, going to God by indirect means, but rather by opening one's heart and mind directly to God and seeking to feel the presence of God in or around oneself. And that's what the Sufis in Muslim are, S-U-F-I in, in Islam. Sufis are a uh, movement that grew up in um, many parts of the, of the Muslim world over the last about a thousand, a thousand years of seeking direct contact with God. And they were the counterparts of mystic movements in Christianity and Judaism um, that sought the same kinds of goals. The Sufis, perhaps more than other mystic groups in uh, most religions, made more use of music and dance as a way to reach God. Because unlike the uh, more conservative Muslim groups uh, that were suspicious of music and dance as leading to sin and the devil, the Sufis actually believed that music could be a positive religious influence and could lead one not into sin but into a state of holiness and communion with God by increasing awareness of God. Sufis believed that a mystical union with God and God's creation could be achieved through meditation, penitence, and study. Mehmet dervishes take their name from the 13th century religious teacher Jalaluddin Rumi, known as Mevlana. He is revered by Persians as one of their greatest poets. The Turks regard him as one of their great spiritual leaders. It is said that even the animals recognized his greatness. Here, a bowl pays tribute to Mevlana. As this post photograph shows, Mevlananjal Aladin Rumi incorporated music and dancing into the rituals his followers developed. The dervishes used the whirling dance and the music to help them concentrate on their spiritual natures and on the greatness of God's love. For the Mevlavid dervish ceremonies, the dancers wear tall felt hats symbolizing tombstones, Black cloaks representing a casket, which all the dancers except the dance master shown here discard before dancing. And a white robe, symbolic of a shroud. Each ceremony includes several whirling dances set to music in different tempos. Before and after the dancing, prayers are recited. Instruments traditionally associated with dervish music are the ney, an end-blown flute, shown here, the kudum, small kettle drums, and bendir, a larger frame drum. You can hear these instruments in this music.
when Kemal Ataturk took control of Turkey in 1923, he and his supporters put an end to Ottoman power. Ataturk believed that the church and state needed to be entirely separate and that the Islamic clergy and sheikhs, the leaders of the dervishes shown here in Konya in 1914, had become too powerful. Ataturk ordered the dervish lodges closed in December of 1925. Many people grieved over the closing and burned candles on the locked gates of the dervish lodges. The tomb of Mevlana Jalaluddin Rumi in Konya was made into a museum. And let's stop there for a minute. Um, the lodges that she referred to were compared by, by many people to Christian or Buddhist monasteries. They were religious communities where followers of the Sufi tradition, the tradition of the Nevadi dervishes would live and um, engage in full-time religious practice. And so those lodges or monasteries were broken up under Kemal Ataturk, um, who uh, overthrew the Ottoman Empire and set up the secular Republic of Turkey that deliberately separated church and state. Um, the, as, as, as she said, oh, I have to tell you that uh, the filmmaker here was one of the first um, graduates of this class um, way back many, many years ago, and she went on to become a um, respected scholar of, of Middle Eastern studies. Um, her name is Charlotte Albright. But, um, um, <coughs> excuse me, um, the people, as, as, as you saw, went and burned candles at the closed lodges and um, carried out devotional activities from, from the outside, even though they were locked out and forbidden to go in and practice the life in the lodges. And they set up the museum there. Now, the government had to find someone to run the museum, and the only people who knew the buildings and who knew the tomb of um, Maulana and um, all of the things associated with the museums were the former leaders of the Mevlevi dervishes, and so they hired a few of them to be the directors of the museum. And when they got the museum going, they suggested to the government that one of the best things that you could do to promote your new museum is to put on dances like they used to do in the lodges uh, as a cultural show for people who wanted to come to the museum and see what it used to be like. And the government thought that was a good idea. And so they started, um, started these dances and they hired dancers to put on the shows at the museum. But of course, the dancers who came to put on the shows were believers in the Meglavi Sufi path to um, salvation. And so they did the dances as a show for tourists, but in their own hearts and minds, they were doing them as religious meditations, as ways of becoming closer. God. And so the whole system survived in a secularized framework, a commercialized framework, 
uh, presenting shows to tourists. And there's a wonderful um, film. I, 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 I um, think it was um, uh, it was one one of the two bushes. I don't remember, I don't remember who it was. I'm sitting um, with the president of Turkey um, at a member of the Dervish dance, and the two uh, presidents are sitting there chatting away. Slabs and economic this, and these guys are sitting around getting closer to God in their own minds, not paying any attention to the politicians, and of course, politicians are not paying any attention to them. Well, that's the way it is sometimes. Um, and uh, it shows in its own way how little this kind of practice, this kind of performance, ever had to do with politics and how much it had to do with personal religious feelings. Example three, A and B on our listening exam are excerpts from a Medlevy ceremony. Um, as Dr. Albright said on her um, film, the, the dances are done at different speeds um, throughout the ceremony to evoke different kinds of moods. And they start out with a rather slow dance, and this is um, example 3A. It's called Toxin, that name is on your handout. The Toxin is an improvisation, it's an improvised prelude. 3A or 3 online. Toxin is an improvised prelude. <coughs> improvised meaning. because the players will come up with new musical ideas and develop the toxin in different ways as they play it each time, depending on what they're feeling. And that is important for the meditational aspect of the performance, because they're trying to feel closer to God and they're trying to express through their music what that feeling is like. But they start out by playing slowly and quietly to get themselves out of the mood of daily work and daily rushing around and uh, paying attention to all kinds of other things and get into more of a meditative mood where you detach yourself from everyday life and from worries about other stuff and try to step back and contemplate God and what God is like who is not tied in with rush hours and job requirements and all of those kinds of things. God is different. God is eternal and almighty. And God is pure and loving. And you want to step back from all of the distractions and concentrate on the nature of God. The toxin is played 
um, three flutes. And as she said, sometimes accompanied by drums, sometimes accompanied by a kind of zither and possibly small cymbals. And the flutes play a slow improvisation that explores the scale of the music that they'll be playing, generally starting low and going higher and exploring the notes like that. So it's a slow melody. In rhythm, meaning it doesn't have any beat to it. It doesn't have a tick-tock clock kind of rhythm, because that would be exactly the wrong feeling when you're trying to step back and contemplate the eternal nature and the peacefulness of God. You don't want Why not? It's going to remind you of all of that other stuff that you're try, uh, trying to distance yourself from. And so the player of the flute, the nate flute, plays a very slow melody. He holds a note as long as he feels like it. And then when he's ready, he'll move up to the next note and hold that as long as he feels like it, etc. So it develops slowly. Let's listen to the beginning. Whoops. There we are, example three. Yes. 
of the musical scale. He's finished the exploration. And now they're going to move on to a faster dance. composer 
Jamil Bek Tamburi. You know, the instrument is the oud, the, the um, Western, West Asian counterpart of the pipa and the biwa that we found in East Asia. And the ancestor of the European lute.
explain, and we have to uh, skip ahead to our next example. I said <coughs> that there were three major traditions of classical music in West Asia. One is Arab, the second is Turkish, and the third is Persian or Iranian. <coughs> This is Turkish classical music, and you see it's performed on a long neck lute. Lutes are the most important stringed instruments in West Asia. You find a couple of zithers, but lutes are very important. But here's the main flute that uh, you heard being used in the Turkish ceremonies. It's also used in classical music. So here's the Turkish classical duet. So anyone who is separated from his roots, look 
Thank you. 